All right, this morning uh, we're going to continue our, our study, our work uh, through the subject of discipleship. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. We, um, last, uh, let's see, Friday night, was it Keith? Friday? Yes, sir. Uh, we, uh, Keith and I and, and Dylan went down to Pythagora Baptist Church in Cross Hill. Uh, they were doing a revival and he had a different preacher every night. Friday got to be my night and um, uh, Keith came down with his banjo and did some music for us and, and had a good evening uh, there. But, but when I started the message, I told him, I said, look, I'm a Bible preacher, so get your Bibles, <laughs> you know. And uh, they got them and I said, we're going to look at a lot of scripture. That's the way that, that I'm used to doing things. So I would encourage you this morning to uh, get a Bible and follow along. Uh, and um, we want to look at this idea of discipleship and um, separation and focus. Separation and focus. The title of the message is Separated to Serve. And in the world that we live in today, it is so easy to be distracted and to turn away in another direction, going a, a, down a, a, a different focus or whatever um, may attract you and to forget the call that God has on your life. Uh, and in the church even, we can get involved in um, everything from, from politics to health crisis to whatever, to the point that that becomes the focus of what it is we are doing, and it was never meant to be that way. It's not to say that any of those things are bad, it's simply to say we need to have them in proper perspective. And Lord gives us a direction that, uh, that we can follow to focus on what he called us to do. Look in, in Luke 9, uh, there's three uh, things I want to look at, starting in verse 57, um, as Jesus is talking to three men that want to follow him. Now, it, the way Jesus did outreach is very different from the way we do it today. We'll beg people to come and we will bend over backwards to accommodate people, to bring them into the church, and very often we don't really challenge them to do anything or require anything from them. Jesus didn't do it that way at all. There was one event in, in Jesus' ministry where the disciples are, are with him and not just the 12, but the 70. There are a lot of them there with him and Jesus begins to teach on this idea of his, his blood and his body. And he said that if anybody would follow him, they would have to drink of his blood and eat of his body. And they thought all kinds of things, and a lot of them left. They didn't get the idea that Jesus was teaching about the cross. Okay? He was, that was one of the first times that he was focusing on the cross that, that he was coming. He knew where he was going and what he was going to do. And the point he was making was, if you want to follow me, it's through the cross that you do that and most of them left they left and then Jesus turns and he looks at the 12 they're still there and I love his response to them he turns to them and and I'm going to bring this into modern English okay but this is very accurate he says you leaving too you can go if you want to and he was not making any effort to stop you can leave 
Twice he went into the temple, and when he saw things in the temple he didn't like, you remember what he did? He made a whip and started turning stuff over and throwing stuff around and ran everybody out. That's not modern-day outreach, is it? Okay, but twice Jesus did that. Because he saw the holiness of what was going on there and, and understood the purpose for the temple to exist. And when he saw it being mistreated and when he saw the, the, the improper, well, complete lack of worship that was going on there, it angered him to the point that he ran him out. He ran him out. Well, then here in, in, in another uh, uh, section, he says some things to men that that actually want to follow him. They say, I want to follow you, but I got to do something else first. And it's interesting to see his response. Verse 57, chapter 9 in, uh, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I hope you understand what that verse means. This man, we don't know who this man is, but he comes up to Jesus and he says what many people say today. Lord, I want, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I'm a believer. I will follow you. He actually says, anywhere you go, I'll follow you. That's... Uh, that's what he said, and 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 he he is you know he's excited and fired up, and and he's going to be a part of of whatever Jesus is doing, and then Jesus turns around with this statement that maybe we don't get it the first time, but it's really interesting that what he says. He says, you know, foxes have holes. A fox has got a hole in the ground that he can crawl into at nighttime, and a bird has a nest that he can fly to. I don't have a place to lay my head. Are you ready to go? Now, I want to ask in, 20, in the 21st century church, do we get the full weight of what Jesus is saying? He's saying sometimes when you follow me, you will not have a place to sleep at night. Sometimes when you follow me, you may have to go places that uh, it's not at home. You're somewhere else where you actually have nothing at all. Sometimes when you follow me, you have to even give up the most basic comforts of life. I don't have a place to lay down at night. Let's go. So uh, I, um, I saw a, a video the other day of a, of a missionary. There was a, um, a, a program that Billy Graham did several years ago in, in Holland where he, uh, he brought missionaries from all over the world and, and, and evangelists from all over the world and he gave about a week and their organization paid for travel for most of them they brought them there, it was in Amsterdam, and they brought them there and they were uh, teaching them about evangelism and such things. And there was a man there from Africa who came uh, and he was an evangelist, a Christian evangelist there. And he had gone out, right after he became a Christian, he went out and started to preach the gospel. And he thought, I'm going to preach the gospel out here to people uh, in the communities and villages where, where I'm from. And they're going to be excited and they're going to accept everything and we're going to see a lot of people saved and all that he went there they beat him in fact they beat him with barbed wire okay well he got up when he when he awakened from the beating and they had drug him out to the outside of town and left him for dead but he got up and he went back to town he said maybe i just didn't have enough faith i'll go back and do it again 
and he's preaching and, and they beat him again with barbed wire. Can you imagine? Barbed wire coming down on his bare skin and just nearly killed him. And then he, they took his body outside the village, left him for dead. Well, he wasn't dead. A little while later, he got up and when he, uh, the bleeding stopped and everything, he went in a third time. Well, they beat him a third time. And it said that that third time, as some of the people in the village were watching this man being beaten nearly to death, the people began to weep. They said there's something about him, no matter how bad it gets, he keeps coming back. No matter what the, the challenge is, or no matter what the suffering is he's going to go through, he keeps coming back. This is the third time. And we beat the man with barbed wire. And they, they began, the village, the people began, they all began to weep. And they didn't know why that he was coming back. But they, they saw, they said there was a love about this man that, that broke their hearts as they saw him being willing to lay there and die. They picked him up after they beat him, carried him into a, a hut, and they nursed his wounds, the wounds that they caused. And he got better. And when he was able to communicate, they talked with him. They said, why, why are you doing this? You know we're going to kill you. Why, why are you doing this? And he shared the gospel. And you know the story. Salvation's happened. People came to faith. Jesus said, I don't have a place to lay down at night. I don't have anything. If you want to follow me, you have to go into extremely difficult situations. There are countless stories of missionaries and others that have gone and done the same thing as that man that I just shared with you did. And every day they give everything they have. Jesus said, I have nothing at all. You want to follow me? Let's go. So that's the first man that comes into second. In verse 59, he says, um, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and, and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. So this guy, this is a different thing. And sometimes when we read it, especially uh, if, we, if we don't check out the tradition that's being talked about here, we may not know what the man's saying. But Jesus looks at the second man and he says, you follow me. I will, but let me go and bury my father. And in Jesus' answer, let the dead bury their own dead. And we would look at that and we would almost, from, from a 21st century perspective, we'd say, well, how cruel. Jesus has no compassion for this man at all. He's going to stay until his father passes to, 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 to bury his own father. That's not exactly what's going on. The idea is the man is saying, I'll follow you after my dad passes and my family and everything and I get responsibility for my home. So that could be years from now. But I'll follow you one day one day how many times have you heard the same thing perhaps you shared the gospel with somebody and they hear what you have to say and they say you know i believe all that i i know all of that and one day i'll make a commitment one day i'll trust christ one day i'll do what i have to do have a right relationship with god one day later and then jesus said let the dead bury their own dead in other words, you really don't have time to wait until one day. 
If you want to follow me, now is the time. I love the stories in the Gospels at the beginning where Jesus calls his disciples. He didn't beg any of them, not one time. And, and he comes, all of them, every time when you look at a call uh, event in the life of the disciples, it's very, very brief. Jesus looks at, he goes and he sees two fishermen, brothers, follow me. And, and that was it. And then he goes on down by the, the seashore a little further and he sees two more brothers, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that was the extent of the call. That was it. And then I love the, the best one of all. He goes into the town and he passes the gate of the town. And there's a man, Matthew, there, a tax collector, collecting taxes. And you know what the call was. Two words, follow me. And then Jesus went on and Matthew had to decide, I get up and go or I stay here. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say another thing. There, there's no, he never begged him to come with him. He doesn't come and say, you know, you really want to do this. I got a, a, a meaning, a, a, a plan for your life is going to bless you. and all. Nothing like that. It's simply follow me. And that's it. That's it. And don't you like it? It says that Matthew got up immediately and followed him. Interesting thing. They never looked back. They never looked back. Matthew follows him. Peter, James, John, Andrew, the four brothers, they followed Jesus, never looked back. Never looked back. Does that say that they were perfect disciples and perfect followers of Christ? Well, no, they all had problems. But they never looked back. They just followed Jesus. Jesus said, listen, you, uh, you won't have a place to sleep at night. You uh, don't have time to, to think about it or wait for things to happen in your life. It's now or never. And they followed Jesus. And there's the third man, verse 61. And another said, also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those words of Jesus, those are powerful words. Those are very powerful words. You think about what he's saying. And I, and you know, I and you, all of us today, we have to look at the, the scripture and we have to ask ourselves, do we think Jesus really meant that when he said it? Man says, Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell everybody bye and, and make arrangements at home and then I'm going to leave and then, then I'll come follow you. And Jesus said, anybody looking back is not fit to serve. Does not even fit to serve. You know what we do today to try to get people in and to do things and stuff like that? And I don't mean just here, I mean any church I know of, any pastor I know of, even pastors sometimes, we'll, we will bend over backwards to try to convince people that they ought to follow the Lord, that they ought to serve Him, that they ought to have faith in Him. We will just do everything we can do, and the Lord never did that. Follow me. I don't have a place to sleep. If you're going to look back, forget it. That's it. So what is Jesus doing with this idea of being a disciple? He's saying you're going to have to make up your mind. You go the way of the world or you follow me, one or the other, and now. 
It's not something you can wait on and when you feel like it, you show up. It's not something that you can do when it's convenient for you. It's not something you can do that's going to promise you all kinds of comfort and everything else in your life. You know what? You're going to have to do this and you may have to give up everything in your life. You may have to go out there having no idea where you're going and how this is going to end up. You may have to go in places you know nothing about. Deal with people that don't like you, okay, and, and do things that you never thought you would have to do. But if you want to follow me, that's the requirement. I see this, and, and you know, we're not saved by works, but our works prove our salvation, according to James. And Jesus is being very clear, you want to follow me, you need to do it. Now, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been spending some time in Ephesians because this is a great little letter about the subject. One of the subjects in it is the subject of discipleship, how to be a good disciple uh, of Jesus. Chapter 5, we're going to look at not the whole chapter, but several verses. Just read through here uh, and comment as we go through. Paul says, uh, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, he's saying here, be, be an imitator of God. You act like you really know the God of the Bible. Act like you really know who Jesus is. Act like you're him. Act like you're him. Act like you are Jesus. Act, live a life that when people look at you, they'll say, hey, that's what Jesus looks like. That's how Jesus talks. That's the things that Jesus does. Live that kind of life. And it's interesting, he says, walk in love, love of Christ. Now, we've got this, this idea that, that the love of Christ is something that, that I don't know, it, it's just almost fairy tale like that we've tried to present that to the world. And that's not the love of Christ at all. The love of Christ is a love that's willing to die for, for his Lord and for his children that he loves, willing to die. And Paul says, be imitators of God, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Later on, he'll be talking about marriage and he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, that's the love he's talking about. Verse three, the fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of the thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. We read this and, you know, in, in the world that we're living in today, all the issues, the moral issues going on in our country today, if, if you as a Christian say anything publicly about these moral issues that are going on, you know what's going to happen. Oh, you're going to be quickly condemned. You know, uh, you may be um, condemned publicly. You may be uh, 
just done away with altogether. They don't want to even, you're, you're, you're removed from society in every way where you don't even have the ability perhaps one day to even have a job or to go to school or do anything like that because there's a lot of hate going on out there today because people want to live their life in any old sin they want to live. And if you dare say anything about it, you become the target. Here's something that we have to remember. The Bible is very clear, Christian. We have to make up our minds where we're going to come down on these issues. Paul says, flee these things. Turn away from these things. And in fact, he goes on and he says, um, for this, in verse 5, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. That's not the only time that a verse like that appears in Scripture. It's in there several times. Very clear. Paul said it. Jesus said it. Others said it. If you're going to live this way, you're not part of the kingdom of Christ. If you're going to live this way, you're not a Christian. Don't pretend you are. What is Jesus saying? If you want to follow me, you have to decide if you're going to follow me. If you're going to do all this other, then you go live that way. If you're going to live according to the world, then you go live that way. You can't follow Christ at the same time. It's just not possible. Jesus, Jesus said it. Paul said it. If you're going to live the way of the world, you're not part of the kingdom of God. That's it. I don't know why we're concerned about what people are going to think when we say things like that. If Jesus said it and Paul said this is the word of God himself, God says this is the requirement. If you're going to live like the devil, you're not part of the kingdom. We have to make up our minds as disciples of Christ. Are we really going to be his disciples? Or are we going to do something else? Jesus said there's a wide road and a narrow road. You can't go down both. You choose which one you want to go down. That wide road leads to death and destruction. The narrow road leads to life. Which way will you go? But there is not an option to do both. There is not an option in the world we live in today to be what the world wants to do and what God wants to do at the same time is not allowed. You say, well, they'll say Christian, uh, a, a Christian value is tolerance. That's what the world will say. No, it's not. It is not. God isn't tolerant. He's gracious, but he is not tolerant. Tolerant implies that he's willing to put up with something. No. God is holy. Holy. And is to be respected that way by believers. We have to make up our mind. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, the seventh church in Revelation is what? A lukewarm church. And what did Jesus say to that lukewarm church? You make me sick. You make me sick. Christian, we cannot be dragged the way of the world and do what the world wants to do and call ourselves Christians at the same time. It can't be done. Well, I don't like that. Yeah, whatever. That's the way that, that, that's the way that Scripture presents the Christian life. Our God is holy. And get, get this, we are expected to be that way too. So then we go on verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the, world, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things 
which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Paul's making it very clear here. You were once, before you became a believer, you, when you were an unbeliever, you were walking in darkness. You were walking the way of the world. But when you were saved, what happened? You changed. God changed you. Christ changed you. And now you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because he's in you. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, I don't have any fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. You've got to separate yourself from that. Now, are we saying that you as a Christian are better than the rest of the world? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this. You're not fit to reach the rest of the world if you're going to live like them. How do I have a witness with an unsaved person if I'm living just like they are? I got nothing for them. I'm just the same as they are. When you come to Christ, people have to see Christ in you. you. You don't have a witness if you're living like the lost world, if you've not changed. If I'm still living like a sinner, it's because I am one. And, and I'm not living like a saved person. I want to reach people. I want to bring people to faith in Christ. I want people to hear the gospel. And I don't want my life to be a life that drags them down. I want to do that. You might remember um, a, a gentleman that came to our church, Ruth and Mike Green, uh, a couple that was here several years ago. Ruth played piano for us for a little while. And Mike had been a, a uh, minister in the past. And he came here one Sunday, had a man with him that he brought to church. And I gave the altar call at the end of the service and Mike walked that man right out to the front and the three of us stood right here. And we worked to share the gospel with this man to bring him to Christ. What I found out was this man was hooked up with a bunch of people that were pulling him down. And, and they, I mean, they were a bad group of people and they, every time he would try to, to move ahead or every time he would try to do the right thing, this bunch would pull him down. Mike said, listen, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have to separate yourself from that bunch. Because you can't follow Christ and them too. You can't do it. You, you'll, you'll, you'll fail every time. God can't use us if we insist on staying in the world. The idea of salvation is to save me from sin, not to leave me in it. So if you want to follow Christ, you have to separate from that. Now, sometimes people will come along and they'll say, well, you know, I got family and, and they're pretty bad and they, they do some pretty bad stuff and I can't separate myself from family. You know, I, let me wait until they get straightened out. Or they'll say some other thing. I got friends or people that I work with and they're pretty bad and I can't really separate myself from them because they're my friends. You live for Christ, they'll separate you. You won't have to if you stay faithful to Christ. They'll cut you out. But you have to make up your mind where you're going to come down. I can't serve God and the world at the same time. Then he goes on in verse 15. He says, see then, and I love this. Scott read it earlier. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Aren't they? We live in evil times, don't we? You see some of the things that people are doing and things they're trying to push on people and push on children and adults and, and our whole country. It's an evil, evil time. Paul says the days are evil. 
So walk carefully. Don't walk like a fool, but redeem the time. What does that thing mean, redeem the time mean? I looked that up, and next week I want to really deal with that idea. But it's like this. You only have so much time in this world, and then it's over. You're not going to be here forever and ever. Do you know, get this, and we'll say this next week too a little more, but I want you to get this point. When you were born, the day of your death had already been determined. Okay? And you only have a certain amount of time. Redeem the time. Walk wisely. Remember who it is you serve. Because remember, this could be your last day here. I don't mean to scare anybody. It's simply the truth. Redeem the time. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I read that text, these words of Paul in Ephesians. And, and I have to think about where the Ephesian church is, the world that they're living in. Um, idolatrous. Every sin you can think of going on, and yet they're being called to serve Christ. In a lot of ways, very similar to our world today. And Paul is saying, you have to separate yourself out from that. You can't live in sin and serve Christ. I've said that many times, but you get the point. You can't do both. Walk wisely. And remember, you only have a certain amount of time to serve the Lord, and then you're gone. And it'll be over. So we have to make up our minds. I, I've heard a lot of preachers and others talk about the times that we're living in today and the things that we're facing. You know what America needs more than anything in the world? More than anything in the world, America needs her churches to be revived. We need to refocus on Christ. He needs to become the focus of everything that we are. We're going to serve him. We're going to follow him. We're going to try to live with his power, a life that is holy, that honors him and glorifies him. Because we're of no value to him if we stay in the world. No value at all. And the sad thing, the really sad thing is the number of people that may be members of churches. They may have been baptized, gone through the whole process, but they never made a commitment to follow Christ, and they're still in the world and still lost. Still lost and think everything is okay. What a terrible thing. What a sad thing. Paul says, redeem the time. Think about where you are and how much time you have. Walk wisely. Walk wisely. Separate yourselves and come out from, from the world. Because you can't reach the world if you stay in it. We have to separate ourselves from that and live a life that honors Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we read these texts and, and we have to remind ourselves how precious our salvation is and that what it means to serve you and to follow you. Father, I pray that you'll help each of us today to examine our lives. If there's something there that, 
that separates us from you, I pray, Father, that you'll remove it. Help us to repent of any sin that may be in our life, to turn away from it, and to follow you completely and to live a life that glorifies you. And Father, we pray for those that, uh, that we know outside of the faith that have never been saved. My prayer today is don't let us do anything that would pull them away from salvation. Help us to live a life that focuses on Christ. And for that person that may be here today, perhaps they don't know Christ. Perhaps they made um, some religious uh, work and effort earlier in their life, but they, they never came to faith. They've just been religious. Lord, today we examine our lives, we look on ourselves, and, and we turn to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Number 564, make me a channel of blessing.